be home. Nice to be with you this morning. And I recognize that it's already a quarter after. And today I would like to, to start a new series. Um, in fact, if you have your bulletin, there has been a verse that we have used as the, our theme verse for the entire year. And now that we're halfway through the year, I figured it was time to go to it. Uh, found in Colossians chapter 1. And uh, you can turn to it. And I'll get to it in just a moment. And as you're turning, I just want a word to our graduates for a moment. I read this really interesting story that in August of 1994 that there was a Korean air jet that as it was coming in for a landing, it, it skidded on a rain-soaked runway and slid all the way to the end of the runway. And as it was getting to the end, it slid off to the side and it kind of rammed into a safety barricade in Chiju, Korea. The 160 passengers that were on that were able to all escape safely as they slid down the safety ramps. And as they were walking away and all of the crew were walking away, the plane suddenly burst into flames. And as they were doing an accident report on the plane, it was one of the most fascinating reports that's ever been written as to why a plane crashed on landing. Because the report that came back was this. The pilot and the co-pilot got into a fist fight as the plane was landing over who was in charge of the landing controls. I read that, I'm going, really? You don't think they covered that somewhere in the manual about who was in charge of the landing controls? And so this whole story about this accident takes place because of two people who were fighting over who was in control and put everybody else at risk. And for those of you that are graduates today, you're coming to a stage of your life where you're going to have to determine who's in control of your life. I couldn't help but think as Pastor Mark and the team was praying for these graduates that they have reached a threshold in your life where you are now for the most part the relationship with your parents changes. The relationship with your peers change. The relationship with your, your pastors and spiritual caregivers change. And for the most part, what happens to your life from now on is going to be as a result of your own decisions that you make. I remember my grandfather telling me as I was getting ready to go to college, he goes, well, you need to know something. He goes, the difference between high school and college is that your professors don't care what grade you make. As long as you pay the bill and... That's all that matters to them. And what you do from now on will be entirely up what you, to what you put into it. And so I just want you to know that there's going to be this struggle in your life as to who's going to be in control. And I pray that you'll read the manual. And that in the manual you will sit back and rest in the knowledge that the Lord has a plan and a purpose for your life. That's better than what you can plan for yourself. And I pray for our kids that are going to college, whether they're going to Christian colleges or secular universities or OCC, whatever it may be. I pray that the foundations of your life that have been established while you have been under the care of moms and dads that love you and love the Lord and the church, that when you get to that point where you're beginning to make your own decisions, that you would stand on the foundations of Jesus Christ that have been built into you. You're going to hear a lot of new things from a lot of people that think they know what they're talking about. Take everything to the Word. 
and take everything to the Lord and you let Him have the final say. And God will lead you and guide you. Having said that, turn now, if you would, to Colossians chapter 1. And I'm going to begin with verse 9 and read through verse 14. For this reason, since the day we heard about you, we have not stopped praying for you and asking God to fill you with the knowledge of His will through all spiritual wisdom and understanding. And we pray this in order that you may live a life worthy of the Lord and may please Him in every way, bearing fruit in every good work, growing in the knowledge of God, being strengthened with all power according to His glorious might, so that you may have great endurance and patience and joyfully giving thanks to the Father who has qualified you to share in the inheritance of the saints in the kingdom of light. For He has rescued us from the dominion of darkness and brought us into the kingdom of the Son He loves, in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. Father, I pray that in this very rich passage of Scripture, that in time we have this morning, that You would begin to unlock this to our hearts through the anointing of the Holy Spirit. There are people here, Lord, that chronologically are at various stages of spiritual development. Some that are brand new in Christ and and others who have walked with Christ for a long period of time. And I pray that whatever stage that we are at, that You would begin to continue to do a work of molding us and making us into Your image. Lord, we long that we would live a life that pleases You, as the Scripture says. And so I pray that You would reveal Your truth to us, how we might do that. In Jesus' name, Amen. The title of the message this morning is Living a Life that Pleases God, and I understand that in placing that as a title, that that is really, really broad. What does a life look like that pleases God? If I were to ask each of you to write down things that you think a life should look like that pleases God, I would imagine that our lists would come back with varying descriptions of what each of us think a life should look like that pleases God. And chances are that your list might be made up of things such as the type of conversion that you had or the the mode of baptism or other experiences that you believe people should have if they have a life that pleases God. Some of you would begin based on either the history that you were raised with or things that you have developed. Your list of what a life looks like that would please God would be a list of things that you don't do or that others shouldn't do if they live a life that pleases the Lord. And and that list may look like things of, well, you know, we don't dance, or we don't dance inappropriately, we don't smoke, we don't drink, we don't go to bad movies, we don't play cards, we don't do... You know, and your list would be a, a list of things that we shouldn't do if we have a life that pleases the Lord. Some people's lists may include different things as that there are certain social activities that you should be involved with, or so social opinions that you should have as it relates to um, the value of life or things such as that that would give you an idea that you have taken political stands on things and that people whose life pleases God must be based on a certain political point of view. Some of you may think that if I'm writing a list of what does a life look like that pleases God, it's going to have to include certain spiritual gifts that would be evident to everybody or you would have a particular theological view which... Uh, is based on the end times or, or stances on such things that 
everybody should have if they have a life that pleases the Lord in your view. I have been in churches where I have been instructed as a preacher that I should only preach from the King James Version, and if I don't, then don't preach here, because obviously that becomes the standard by which anybody whose life is going to please the Lord must read that version of the Bible. And so we have all of these different views and, and prisms that we look at through our various eyes and think that if somebody's going to plead the Lord, that they need to have these things evident. But I want you to know something. As you begin to make that list, whether you did it mentally in your mind or you're beginning to jot things down, or you were just listening to things that might be on your list, I want you to know every one of those things are externals. In fact, if we listen closely to ourselves, and if we look at ourselves closely, in the list that we make, what we would discover is that when we think of people that are living lives that please God, chances are your list would make Everybody look just like you. Because that's the view that we look through. And so if everybody's going to please the Lord, then they're going to look a lot like me. And I believe that the reason this is so is because we want to live lives that please God. So we seek to define pleasing God by our experiences and our beliefs, which may not necessarily have firm foundation in the Word of God. I brought a pie plate with me today, and unlike last week, I'm not going to break it on an altar. In fact, I asked Pastor Jeff if he picked up all the broken mirror pieces for those of you that were here last week. When we talk about a life that pleases the Lord and in the series of talking about conforming our lives, being conformed into the image of Christ, I was trying to think of what an illustration might look like and now, there are those of you that love to bake. And there are those of you that like to make your pie crust from scratch. And there are those of us that if we were going to bake, I'm going to Wegmans and I'm buying the pre-made crust. But even if you buy pre-made crust, you still have to do some things to make it look like a pie. And they have this form. And as you take that pie crust and you begin to lay it over the top, it doesn't naturally conform to what the pie shape should be. I've, I've looked at bakers, and I am not one. If it can't be made in a microwave or over an open fire, I probably haven't cooked it. But as I have watched my wife and her mom and grandmothers and my mom bake, I... I they roll this dough out and it comes in this kind of flat piece and they cut pieces off and they slap it onto the top, top of this thing. And then there was some work involved as they begin to take their fist and kind of pound it down. I'm not going to do that anymore. Women have tough fists. And, and they push it down into that. And then when they get it to mold onto the inside of that, then there's all these little ridges along the outside. And they take their thumbs and they begin to press that dough down. And it begins to form with effort into the form in which it was placed in. But it didn't happen naturally. There was effort involved in making it conform. And then the designer comes out and people, after they put the fruit in the middle of it, and they lay the top part off and some like to create little designs in the top. Some put sugar on the top, some poke it with a fork. And this beautiful design comes out that, that begins to create something because it was conformed to the mold that it was given. 
I want you to know something. The mold that God has for each of us looks different than it does for everybody else. He's not making me into the same mold that He is making you. In fact, the Bible tells us on multiple occasions that each of us come with different giftings and different abilities and that they are all needed in the diversity of our gifts and the diversity of our talents brings a healthy environment for the church to come. The problem comes when we begin to judge the fruitfulness of others based on our own prism of what godliness should look like through our own eyes. And so I pray that over these next few weeks, as we begin to discuss what it means to be conformed into the image of God, that we will give each other the latitude that what form God is making you may not be the form that God is creating in somebody else because their task in the kingdom is going to be different than your task in the kingdom. And that we would learn to look at each other with eyes of patience and love and ask that God would reveal things to us as to what it looks like to be conformed into the image of God in a congregational setting. I would say to you this morning that I believe the passage of Scripture we read as our text is a great starting point for what we should look like in a general sense as we are conformed into the image of God because we see four characteristics of a life that's pleasing to the Lord. And they are revealed by four different aspects as they are talked about bearing fruit, growing in knowledge, being strengthened, and giving thanks. You have those in your bulletin today as an outline and chances are we are not going to get through all of them today. Whatever we don't get through, we'll pick up with and move on. But the first point that I want to point out to you today as we are being conformed into the image of God is that a life that pleases God bears fruit. It bears fruit. The idea of bearing fruit is not foreign to us here in upstate New York. I've seen your Facebook posts as some of you have been out strawberry picking and you take the best looking piece of strawberry shortcake that you made and then you post it so that the rest of us will look jealously at that. And it looks great. We know what it's like to pick fruit. We already know that the apple orchards that we drive by have these little tiny fist-sized green apples that are growing, and we know that come September and October that we might as well together as a church go and just clean out an orchard because we're going apple picking. We understand the seasonal aspect of bearing fruit. But Jesus says that the same is true of each of us that have a profession of faith in Jesus Christ. That there will be something about our life that will be valuable for people around us to be able to pick the fruit of our life and that there will be something nourishing or attractive to them about us. The Bible tells us in Matthew chapter 7, verses 15 through 17. It says, watch out for false prophets. Because they come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly they are ferocious wolves. By their fruit you will recognize them. Do not, or do people pick grapes from thorn bushes or figs from thistles? Likewise, every good tree bears good fruit, but a bad tree bears bad fruit. In other words, there is a nature that's at work within you. 
And because of that, you will produce what you are on the inside. You may be able to hide it for a little while, but sooner or later, circumstances of your life will reveal themselves in such a way that who you really are is going to come out. I remember Clay Glickert speaking a message, and he had with him a bottle of water, and and he took the lid off, and he shook the thing, and water came out, and he goes, do you know why water came out of this thing? And we're going, yeah, you took the lid off. He goes, no, it's because water was what was in it when it was shaken. Sometimes we find that the Lord reveals the most about who we are in the middle of shaking times, in the middle of difficult times. When we are being squeezed, when we're being crushed, that's when the fragrance of the fruit that we have within our lives begins to be either aromatic to the people around us or we recognize that we have rotten fruit on the inside. We live in a day and age when people are always telling us as Christians, don't judge me. You ever heard that? Don't, don't think that you're better than I am. Don't judge me. You know, Generally, people use that as a justification for whatever lifestyle they want to live. Sometimes people say that when there's the conviction of the Holy Spirit in their life that's, that's drawing them and, and they dig their heels in and say, you don't have the right to judge me. And the Bible tells us that we shouldn't judge people. However, I want you to understand very clearly what the Scripture is telling us that we do have the right to do. We have the right to judge fruit. And Jesus very clearly lets us know that in the day and age in which we live, that there will be false prophets that are trying to make themselves look and sound and produce a fruit that ultimately is not really there because that's not what's grown on the inside of their life. And a discerning church, a church that has the Holy Spirit of God working within them and motivating them, will begin to understand as we begin to examine the fruit of the lives of those people around us. I have said this, I don't know if I've said it in church or whether I've said it in my class, but there are things that we can benefit from by listening to people who minister on TV. But I want you to know something. There's nothing quite like being able to examine the fruit of your local body of Christ. You see, we're in relationship with one another and we have the opportunity of examining each other's lives on a regular basis and we know how we respond and we know how we react and, and there are a lot of things about personalities that we just don't know. And so the Lord says to us to recognize the fruit of people's lives because ultimately they will produce what really is going on on the inside. So how can we tell if somebody is professing to be a believer but isn't a believer? We can tell by watching their lives. If you examine their lives, you'll be able to tell. Because if there is not a change in the way they live, then we can conclude that there is no change in their soul. And I recognize that as I make that statement, there is a million thoughts that begin to blow up in our minds as to how secure are we in Christ in our relationship? How do we know that we're right with the Lord? I want you to know something. Your heart and your life and your lifestyle goes together. They are not separate. The Bible tells us that where our heart is, that's where our treasure is. 
you examine the heart of somebody, and if they have a heart after God, there will be fruit in their life that will be produced after their relationship with Christ. If there's not a change in the way that you live from the time that you come to Christ to where you are today, then those examining the fruit of your life would have to conclude if there's not a change in your life, then maybe there wasn't a change in your soul. I also want you to know this. Fruitfulness takes time. There is a growing process that takes place in the lives of believers. God is not creating the same fruit in each of us. For those of you that are gardeners, you recognize that at this time of the year, for those of you that planted early, you're already harvesting strawberries. For those of you that like radishes and things of that nature, they grow really quick. You get to eat them. If you planted an orange tree, then it's not going to grow here because this is New York. But if you planted an apple tree or fruit that does like this particular area, you recognize that it's going to take years, in some cases, before you see fruit produced, even though that what you planted is alive and healthy and growing, that just there's different stages for different things that take longer. So we do need to have a patience with one another, because what God is growing in you may take longer to develop than somebody else. One of the frustrating things that happens in the life of a believer is that when there's a new believer that comes to Christ, and instantly they begin to grow by leaps and bounds in the things of the Lord. And those that have been living for the Lord perhaps a, a longer period of time feel, why is it that they are being promoted in ministry? Why is it that, that they are gifted in things that I've always wanted to do, but it's taking so long for me? God's not making you into the same thing. He wants His body diverse. What He's creating in you may take longer. And so in the aspect of being made into the image of God, be patient with one another. We are so quick sometimes to judge and to, to label and to throw things out. And the Lord says, just be patient. Just be patient and watch the fruit. Because even those who are just starting in Christ will have change that will be obvious to take place. Fruitfulness takes time. But we should see discernible differences as we come to Christ in the way that people live. Listen to these words of Paul. And I've, I've read them before and they're in Galatians, but I want to read them from a different version today and I want to take a slightly different approach. In Galatians chapter 5, verses 19 through 23, and this is out of the New Living Translation. When you follow the desires of your sinful nature, your lives will produce these evil results. Sexual immorality, impure thoughts, eagerness for lustful pleasures, idolatry, participation in demonic activities, hostility, quarreling, jealousy, outbursts of anger, selfish ambition, divisions, the feeling that everybody is wrong except those in your own little group, envy, drunkenness, wild parties, and other kinds of sin. Let me tell you again, as I have said before, that anyone living that sort of life will not inherit the kingdom of God. But when the Holy Spirit controls your lives, He will produce this kind of fruit. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Here there is no conflict with the law. The what I want to bring up today is oftentimes we look at some of the really, really big sins of that particular passage of Scripture and we begin to label and judge people based on those. But let me point out to you 
some things that we may not think would be ugly fruit that we allow sometimes within our lives. Because within that list, there were a lot of things that we kind of just push over. But there are some personality traits that we allow in our own lives that sometimes are unfruitful. Number one is if you have a personality trait that takes everything personally. People that take everything personally are toxic to be around. Because they believe that everything that happens in life is a direct assault on them or is a direct assault on the way they are. The reality is that people say and do to you some things that are not very kind. But not everything that is done to you is done because you take it personally. And if you have that trait about you, then you're going to live in a constant state of hurt and disappointment and sadness with your life because you will always think that everybody is out to get you and you allow to operate in your heart a wall that keeps the Lord from beginning to do something in you. And so if you are one of those persons who has just the nature that everything that happens is just taking it personally, this is what they meant, this is how they intended to do it, then I want you to know that the Lord's saying, that's not one of the fruits of my Spirit and I can begin to bring healing to you in that. Some of the things that are mentioned within Scripture in an indirect way are obsessing constantly on negative thoughts. It's very hard to be around people that will not let go of negativity. The Bible tells us that when we come into relationship with Christ, that our strength comes from His joy. That the joy of the Lord is our strength. It's hard to have both a fruit of joy from the presence of the Lord within our life and also live constantly in a state of negativity that nothing is ever going right and nothing ever good happens to me. And people that obsess on those things speak incessantly about everything that's happened to them and how they've always been the ones that suffered the slight and how life is unfair. Pessimism is one thing, but remaining perpetually locked in a negative thought pattern is not a fruit of God. And when you only see the negative and you operate from the view that everything is negative and against you, it skews your way of thinking and living and the fruit that you produce will not be that which produces a glory to the Lord. Also, a way that this can manifest itself is treating yourself like a victim. I know that every one of you has a story to tell. There's not one person sitting in this room today that would not be able to tell a story of somebody that did something to you that was unkind or cruel that perhaps has affected the way that you live today. We all have stories. The difference is that when Christ comes into your life, He says that He makes you a brand new creation. He says old things old things passed away. Some of the old things that passed away are those hurts that people have laid upon you. He cleanses those. He removes those. He fills you with a new energy. He fills you with the presence of God. 
And he begins to remove the victim mentality to the point where he says, I am now a child of the living God and I will walk differently and I will think differently and I will produce a different fruit in my life and I no longer will be a victim. I will be a victor through Jesus Christ who strengthens me. And he begins to change the rottenness of a victim mentality into the beautiful fruit of a victor in Jesus Christ. He begins to work with us to develop within us an empathy so that we can learn to put ourselves in the shoes of others. One of the most toxic and damaging fruit that we see in our world today is just cruelty to people. I'm astounded at some of the things people say to one another. And because we live in a society where you can anonymously get on a computer and type into people's conversations, it amazes me the thoughts of people when they think they're anonymous and how cruel people can be to one another. And I pray that we would demonstrate when Christ comes into our life that we would begin to have an empathy and a concern and a compassion for others. And that the Lord would develop within us patience with one another. I read a story of a lady that was a counselor and she was writing about a powerful experience that she had a few years ago. She said, I had come home from work and I was already in a nasty mood. She goes, I was observing my neighbor lady and the interaction that she had with her child and and something that had been going on there. And she said, I walked in and I told my husband everything that that lady was doing wrong, how lousy of a parent that she was. And if she had just parented differently, nothing would happen that would have taken place within their home. And she says, in less than 24 hours, that very same issue came to roost in my own home. And she said, it was as if God sent me a message. Ah. If you want to be cruel and demeaning about somebody, I'll give you the same experience that you just judge negatively so that you will learn to be compassionate because you don't know the whole story. She said, it changed the fruit of my life from the way that I judged others because I began to see nothing. None of us are exempt from anything. And if you find yourself backstabbing and tearing somebody else down, stop in your tracks. Speak to the Lord and say, Lord, I need you to dig that out from the root and plant in its place a fruit that brings glory and honor to you and help me change the kind of fruit that I'm producing. Perhaps you found in your life an excessive reactivity, the inability to manage your emotions, The inability to respond rather than react. And as a result of that, what you have produced in your life is people who are afraid to be around you or walk on eggshells around you because they're afraid of the explosion that's going to take place if you get news that may not be good. You explode over the smallest hiccup or problem. You yell at the bank teller because the line is long. You scream at the assistant's because a PowerPoint error was made. Perhaps you lose it with your children because they accidentally spilled milk. And you begin to recognize that what others are observing in the fruit of your life is not something that the Lord would desire. And so you begin to pray, Lord, help me remove myself from those reactive 
natures that don't come from You and plant within me something, O oh God, of Your nature that helps me to be patient and responsive rather than reactive. The Lord tells us in John 15, 4, Remain in Me, and I will remain in you. No branch can bear fruit by itself. It must remain in the vine. Neither can you bear fruit unless you remain in Me. So the first aspect of conforming to the will of God, and this will be the last one that we cover today, is that you have to be in Christ. You can't produce fruit after His nature if you're not tapped into the vine. And if you're struggling, then recognize this is what He's telling you. We don't go out to bear more fruit. We seek to draw closer to Him and the fruit will come naturally. It's not a matter of trying harder. It's a matter of drawing closer. You hear that? That's what he's saying in the Scripture. Remain in me, and my fruit will naturally grow in you. Because the fruit doesn't come from the branch. It comes from the source. So how do we know if our church is doing a good job? How do we know if we individually are behaving in such a way that brings glory to God? I would say that we can look at the fruit of each other's lives. What happens when we're shaken? How do we react when we need to respond? Do we live a life that pleases God and glorifies God? Well, chances are people can tell if they watch you on the job. Your co-workers are observing your fruit on a daily basis. The tactics that we use to make a profit in our job often reveal to us the nature of our fruit. But I'll tell you what, the greatest way you can tell that you're being fruitful in the Lord is the way things take place and the way you treat one another in your families. Husbands and wives, brothers and sisters and children, they know the fruit of a life because they see it in real time every day and it's really easy to come to church and to sit in here and to have everything wonderful but the real fruit of life begin to emerge when you walk back in your house with one another the way husbands and wives speak to one another the way you interact with children if you want your children raised in a household or a home that glorifies God then glorify God in the way you treat each other let them see the fruit of your lives and say, I know God is real because I've seen the change in my own home. I'm going to ask the worship team if you'd please come. And as they do, I know that you're in different stages. Some of you have just started with the Lord. Some of you today might not even have started yet and you're just here and you're you're contemplating what a faith in Christ might look like in your life. And I want you to know that when God makes us brand new, one of the greatest things about that, if not the greatest thing, is the fact that 
all of the baggage that you carry in life, He just cuts loose. He's paid the price. Things that cause us shame. The things that cause us guilt. The things that we don't want anybody else to know about our lives. He paid the price of His life to set you free from having to carry those, that baggage. And when He says He makes us brand new, there's, there's a change on the inside. That that which motivates life on the inside changes so that that which comes on on the outside looks different than what was there before. So as we sing this song together, I'm going to ask that you would stand with me as we sing with the worship team. Prepare your hearts for whatever response the Lord might desire of you this morning.